Glad you guys are here. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you're joining us for Easter. If you're joining us online, glad you're joining us today as well. Um, we have a tradition. If you've been around church on Easter before, you've probably done this before. Um, I don't know where it started. I, I probably at some point should look it up. Um, but it goes like this. I'm going to say, he is risen, and you're going to respond, he's risen indeed. Okay? So now you know the right answer. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Everybody? Here we go. He is risen. Amen, amen. Hey, we're going to come back to that at the end of service, and I expect you to be fully amped and stoked and excited at the end of service. Uh, glad you guys are here. Um, at the center of what we talk about, when we talk about Easter, the empty tomb, the resurrection, the center of what we talk about when we talk about our Christian faith is resurrection and this thing we call the gospel. And, and this thing we call the gospel is... Um, it just means the good news. In, in fact, it was a very common word in secular cultures names and times. It was this proclamation often of a victory. And someone would come proclaiming the good news that the king has conquered his enemies, that he's won. But have you, have you, ever, you ever had good news that wasn't good news? Here's what I mean. I had some friends years and years ago very good friends, very close to him, and, they, and, and he came to me and he goes, he goes, I got great news, which is better than good news. On the scale of news, great is better than good, right? And we're in a season of life where th this is what most of the time people would say. They'd say, we have great news. We're pregnant, right? That's like what I'm expecting, okay? And he goes, we've got great news. I got a promotion. I'm like, woo, that's awesome. You're buying dinner next time, right? Like, that's great news for you and me. And then he goes, I got a promotion. So I'm moving to the East Coast. And I went, yeah. <laughs> Whenever there's good news, I mean, you have to ask yourself, like, like who's it good news for? If you're a sports fan, you've seen um, plenty of moments. Some of them are very iconic. You know, confetti's shooting, bands are playing, people are jumping up and down and celebrating. And there's that other team that really awkwardly and quietly with their head hung, often with tears are walking away. And when we come to talk about the good news of Easter, the good news of Jesus' resurrection, some of us have had to ask the question like, who's it good news for? Is it good news for me? Uh, at the very beginning of service, if you're near at the very beginning, we played this video that tells the story of a woman named Mary Magdalene. And, and she goes and she finds the empty tomb and she speaks with Jesus after he's been risen. And, and, and we meet her and it says this in John 20, verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and announced, that that's the same kind of root word that we get, um, gospel evangelist, evangelism, proclaimer of the good news. She came to proclaim victory. It shouldn't be lost on us. The first person to proclaim the resurrection was a woman. She announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, the good news. He's not dead. He's, he's alive. And for Mary, it was, it was great news. It was good news. But what you need to know about Mary is Mary had a story. Mary had a story that hadn't always been good news. In fact, one of the things that we know about Mary is before she met Jesus, she was, uh, the Bible says she was demon-possessed. 
She was a woman whose past had been full of darkness and brokenness and shame and pain and, 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 and um, sin and wickedness. She had probably, no doubt, experienced herself the explosion of other people's sins in some really graphic and painful ways. But the empty tomb, the resurrection, the good news is good news for people like Mary, whose past are marked with shame and she came announcing, proclaiming, celebrating, screaming, I've seen him. He's not dead. It's good news for people like Mary Magdalene. It's, it's good news for um, people like Simon of Cyrene. You know Simon of Cyrene? Talk about having a bad day. Um, Simon of Cyrene, here's, here's what we meet Simon of Cyrene. It says this. And they, um, being the Roman officials, because this is the night that, Je this is the day Jesus is being crucified. He, his, his flesh has been ripped off of his back. He's been beaten. He's had the crown of thorns shoved on him. He's had the robe put on him and ripped off. And he's been abused and mocked and spit on. And now he's carrying his cross to Golgotha, right? And he's carrying his cross and, and fatigue under the weight of the cross. He falls and he falls. And eventually the Roman officials grab this, this a passerby. Didn't even plan to be there. Just ended up in a traffic jam. You know, just, just trying to cross the street. And there's this parade going on, this chaos. And they compelled him. This might even be a little bit of a generous word. Because um, they didn't like encourage him. Right? At the tip of a spear, they compelled him to take up this man's cross. And it says this, this is what we know about him. Coming from the country, he's coming from outside. He's not from here. This is what we need to know about Simon of Cyrene. He's not from this place. He's not from these people. Simon of Cyrene, the city of Cyrene is actually a coastal town in Africa. And says the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. For Simon of Cyrene, um, he was intimately involved in the darkest day in human history. And you can imagine, if you just think about the scene and the scenario of what's going on, there's got to be panic in Simon's um, heart and his mind. He's there with his boys. And all of a sudden, this soldier that wields absolute power grabs a hold of him, and he has to leave his boys behind. And he carries the cross of all he knows to be is, is a criminal, someone worthy of death. And, and you've got to imagine the panic as he's carrying the cross. Like, is he going to get twisted up in this? Is someone going to get confused? You know, as he gets passed from Roman soldier to Roman soldier, are they going to think that he's, you know, part of Jesus's team? And that he himself is going to end up on a cross or, or beaten or murdered in some other way? And yet, for someone like Simon of Cyrene, someone actually from the wrong place, not from here, not from these people, from, from a different land. We, we meet him later. Uh, in the book of Acts, he goes by a different name. His, his name is Simon called Niger, which Niger comes from the word black. And so, so you, can, you can guess why he has the nickname, if he's from an African city, why he has the nickname Simon uh, called the black guy, right? And Simon of Cyrene, who carries Jesus' cross in one of the darkest days of human history, if not the darkest days of human history, it's good news for him because you know why we meet Simon in the book of Acts? Because he's been a part of the group of people who have planted a church in a town called Antioch. That town, Antioch, is where we're introduced to Paul, who writes much of the New Testament. Because of the empty tomb and the transformation in a man who was not from this place, he was not a part of these people, God transforms and redeems, and he uses people who are not from here. And people who feel outside and unwelcome and unwanted and part of the wrong group.
It's, it's good news for guys like Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, listen to Joseph of Arimathea. It says this. Um, after all this, Joseph of Arimathea, look at this. This is, this is crazy. He was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Because he was intimidated by the Jews. He was afraid. He was fearful of the Jews. The empty tomb is good news for people like Joseph of Arimathea. He comes, it says, he petitioned Pilate to take the body of Jesus. Pilate gave permission, so Joseph came and took the body. It wasn't the disciples who spent three years giving their life to following Jesus. It wasn't his family. It was a man afraid of the religious leaders. A secret follower of Jesus the resurrection is good news for those who maybe even your coworkers don't know. Maybe your coworkers don't know that you're here today. You're watching online this morning. They, they, you're wrestling with this Jesus thing. Maybe it's good news for people like Joseph of Arimathea who don't have the courage yet enough to even tell anyone that they kind of think this Jesus thing is, is real. It's good news for secret followers like Joseph of Arimathea. But Joseph of Arimathea wasn't the only one there that day. He actually had a buddy. We don't know about their friendship ahead of time, but we know they're together. His name's Nicodemus. Um, you, you probably met Nicodemus before. Look at what, look at what the, uh, John reminds of us. He says, Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus at night. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And if you can um, think of anybody in the Bible that feels like the um, other side, Right? You got Jesus and the disciples and, and all these busted people that flock to Jesus and love Jesus and like the Jesus team. And then if you can think of like who heads up the not Jesus team, it's the Pharisees, right? And Nicodemus comes, John reminds us that he comes in the middle of the night so that nobody else would know, nobody else would see in secret. He comes just like Joseph of Arimathea. He comes in secret to ask questions of Jesus. And it is the day that he's taken off of the cross that Joseph of Arimathea, the secret follower, and Nicodemus, the recovering Pharisee, are there to take his body. Nicodemus, a man who devoted himself to, to the rules over relationship, a man who devoted himself to, to legalism over grace and mercy, a man whose past, I'm sure, held much that he was sad about. I mean, there's a whole section where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says this over and over again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And for Nicodemus, it's good news for a recovering religious jerk in Nicodemus. It's good news for Peter. You know Peter? <laughs> Like, Peter's life is just basically defined by screw-ups. Like, Peter is just a screw-up in everything he does. In fact, Peter, you know, Peter's a fisherman. And, and a lot of people are like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, he liked fishing. Like, you, you could be a fisherman today and, like, that be, like, a, a good thing. Like, you decide you want to be a fisherman. In Jesus' day, that's not the way it worked. In Jesus' day, um, Peter was a fisherman because at some point in time, a teacher looked at him and said, you're kind of an idiot. You're not really smart enough. You're not going to cut it. Third grade was, was about as tough as we're going to be able to get you through. Fourth grade, the, the bar for you is here. And he was sent off to go find a trade, to go find a job, and he ended up as a fisherman. Peter's life with Jesus is, is largely defined. I mean, the moments that you think of with Peter, right? Walking on water, how's that sucker end? 
He has one glorious moment. Jesus asked the question, who do they say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, oh, that's amazing. God, God, God had to have revealed that to you because you couldn't have thought of it yourself. It's kind of implying like, Peter, we all know you. This was a miraculous utterance that you could figure this thing out, right? But you know how that story ends? Jesus saying this to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like Peter's life is marked over and over and over again by his failures. The night before this, this, this event occurs with Peter, um, he, he, says, he says, Jesus, I'll, I'll never leave you. If I have to die, I'll stick by you. <laughs> Jesus, you just got to kind of imagine in his mind. It's like, <laughs> oh, Peter, you haven't learned yet. And he tells Peter, he says, hey, Peter, um, you're going to mess up. You, you spent three years with me, and yet... Three times you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. And, and, and uh, Luke holds the account of this last time that Peter denies him. And he says this. Someone asked him if he's following Jesus. As Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that very moment, the last word hardly off his lips, a rooster crowed. Just then, the master, Jesus, turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered what the master had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and cried and cried and cried and cried. The empty tomb, resurrection, new life and new hope is, is good news for people like Peter whose life is defined by mess up and screw up over and over and over again. It's good news for people like Timothy. Uh, it says this of Timothy, there's a couple books in the Bible named Timothy. Timothy didn't actually write those books. They're written to him, but he probably contributed in writing some of the other books. But this is where we meet him. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. And the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, notice there's something that it's going to be repeated here in, the, in, in this passage because they want you to notice Right? The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. It's good news. The resurrection of Jesus is good news for people who come from busted and broken family paths. What the writer of the book Acts wants to see over and over and over again is that, is that Timothy didn't come from the right pedigree. His, his, his dad wasn't like an upstanding, respectable man in the church. He was a busted, wandering, pagan Greek. And yet God used Timothy in incredible and beautiful ways that the good news, the resurrection, the empty tomb is good news for those of us who've come from busted and broken families full of chaos and heartache. The good news is, is good news for the, the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch. Now, now, here's what you know about the Ethiopian eunuch. He's from Ethiopia, right? Head nod. He's from Ethiopia, and he's a eunuch. That's why we call him the Ethiopian eunuch, right? There's some things to know about the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, a, a eunuch in Jerusalem, in Jewish society, in Israel, was um, not welcome, 
He, he was, there were, there were spots in the temple that he could not go, that by the fact that he had submitted himself to becoming a eunuch, he was unwelcome, unwanted. There were, there were very clear boundaries of, you can come this close to God, but you can't come any other closer. The interesting thing about Ethiopian eunuch, though, is that outside of Jerusalem, he would have been highly honored. Because to be asked to, or to be required to become a eunuch meant that you were so closely connected with some of the most powerful people in your nation that to protect the bloodline of the royal family that you were asked to become a eunuch, he would have been a smart, powerful, well-trained, well-versed person. In fact, when we meet him, we find him riding along in this carriage and, and he's, 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 reading, he's reading from the Jewish scriptures because he'd come to Jerusalem, he'd come to Israel looking for something. And he leaves just as confused as when he came. He, he's reading from the scroll and, and he's, he's reading about this prophet, about this Messiah, about this Savior that would come to the world. But it doesn't make any sense to him because what he reads doesn't make sense with the world that he sees. And one of the disciples appears to him. And this is a miraculous move that God does. He appears to him and he's walking beside him and he, and he says, you know what you're reading? He says, no, I don't know what I'm reading. And he explains to him that Jesus is this the sacrificial lamb that he gave his life, a death and resurrection on the cross, that the tomb is empty. And, and, and then the eunuch says this. He says, um, well, there's water right there. Can't we get baptized? And he gets baptized. I don't, I don't know where you got baptized, um, but the Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized in a ditch on the side of a very busy road. That's gross, <laughs> right? But he's just like, hey, right, right here. And then miraculously, the disciple disappears. And, and look at what it says. This is profound and important to a man who just heard the good news of the empty tomb. It says, he had what he'd come for. He had what he'd come for. At hearing the good news of the empty tomb, what he traveled so far to find life and freedom and forgiveness and purpose and goodness and resurrection and newness. He had what he'd come for and he went down the road as happy as he could be. It's good news for someone like the Ethiopian eunuch who maybe you walk in all kinds of circles with prestige and power, but inside the church, you've always felt like an outsider. You've always felt it unwanted, unwelcome amongst the people of God. The resurrection, the empty tomb is good news for people like the Ethiopian eunuch. It's good news for people like Lydia. Lydia, um, it says this, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, which is um, a, a town in Asia, a seller of purple fabrics, which doesn't sound significant to us, but this is like hot commodity. This is big money. A worshiper of God was listening and, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Here's what you need to know about Lydia before she meets Jesus. Like in modern day world, Lydia, let me just say this. Um, in modern world, uh, Lydia would be in design, spending a lot of time in Milan, Italy, getting there on her own private jet, right? This is a woman of power, of money, of access, she, she's a woman of influence and importance, and yet, despite having all the measure of success that the world could give her, she's a woman who's empty, and she finds in herself something lacking, and when, when Paul begins to preach the good news of the empty tomb, her heart comes alive anew, that the gospel, the good news is good news, even for those who seem to have everything together and yet feel empty. This morning, I want you to know this. 
that the gospel, the good news, that, it, if it, that if it is not yet good news for you, you have not rightly heard the good news of the gospel because God has come after everyone because he loves you so desperately. And whether you are like Mary Magdalene, who has a past full of shame and brokenness and fear and, and scars and, and hurt and anger and bitterness, that the empty tomb is good news for you. That if you were like Simon of Cyrene, who's always felt like you were from the wrong place, from the wrong part of town, from the wrong family, with the wrong background, that the good news is good news for you, a God who's come after all the nations. The, the, the shout that we hear over and over and over in Scripture is that God has a heart for all the nations, for all people, from every tongue, from every tribe, from every place. But the good news is good news for someone like Joseph of Arimathea, that maybe, like you, maybe your coworkers would even be surprised to hear you in church on a Sunday morning. It won't come up tomorrow. And it's good news for you because God is a God of grace and goodness. It's good news for someone like Nicodemus, a recovering Pharisee, and maybe in your past, there's things you look back on, things you've said, things you posted, things you told people, positions you held, and you look back on them with shame, realizing the lack of grace and mercy in them, and the good news of the empty tomb is that there's newness in life for you just the same. It's good news for people like Peter, whose lives are defined as screw-ups, for Timothy, who come from broken and busted families, who think, who believe, mistakenly believe that the family you came from will define the future that you're a part of. But God, he, he, he doesn't define you about the father or the mother you've come from. In fact, the good news of the gospel, the invitation for Timothy and for you and me today is that you might be a son or a daughter of the king, that you have a new father, that you have a new family because the tomb is empty, or the Ethiopian eunuch, maybe you've always felt outside, unwanted, rejected, unwelcome inside the church, and the good news is that God has come after you. Scripture says he left heaven to come after you and to come after me, or like Lydia, who on the outside, everyone thinks everything looks good and everything is together, but inside you feel empty. Here's the great news of the gospel. Here's the great news of the empty tomb. It says this, Scripture says this, that the power that raised Christ from the dead, that because of what Jesus has done, that that power can be in you. That what was doesn't have to be. That the shame, the fear, the brokenness, the darkness, the decay, the rejection, the loneliness, that the power that raised Christ, that raised Christ can raise the dead and the broken and the decaying in you. That it can bring newness and life where there is only darkness and pain because the tomb is empty today. Amen. And so today, I hope you know. I hope you will remember. I hope you will experience that the tomb is empty and that that power is inviting you to find a new life and new hope and new purpose and new place in the family of God.